0: I was just uh, thinking, as we were singing that, our worship this morning, how there are different phases in your life. I don't know if you, um, you take note of this in your own life, but there was a time, at least in my life, where singing worship and praise songs would not have been my bag. Um, coming to church would not have been my gig either. Uh, even a conversation about God would have been one that I really would not particularly have been interested in. My brother was uh, just, he followed God from an early age. I rejected God from an early age, literally. And all through high school and most of uh, my first college experience, I really didn't um, have any desire to be connected to God or even have a conversation. And as we were worshiping, I thought, wow, look, look how things change. And you may be that way too. You may have come in and said, you know, gosh, this is a new experience for me. I can't believe I'm, I'm looking for God. I can't believe that I'm pursuing God. Others, you, as you have pursued God for a long time and you're thinking, man, this is, this is something that's a huge change for me. I can't believe that, that that's happening in my life. We, we love different things at different times of our life, true? And sometimes it's hard to let go of those things. Our kids, like many other kids, have gone through the phase of the big plastic kitchen uh, thing. You, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. It takes up a lot of real estate, and parents are always looking for that day where you can get it out the back door, or someone... You know, who's got young kids, and they say, Boy, I wish we had one of those. Oh, really? Okay, well, let's just help you out the car with that, you know? So finally, we had in our our little journey here with our kids that moment where our kids had outgrown it, because there's pots and pans that come with it, and fake apples and cook stuff, you know? So it came the day where we're going to get over this phase. But my oldest son, man, he holds on to everything he'll he'll be the guy that just keeps everything and so we had a couple actually here in church that they had kids younger than us they brought their pickup over you know we were dashing it out to the truck we had it up into the truck and the little girls came and they were so excited about you know getting this new kitchen and and uh, my my son wrote this sticky note that said I love you and we thought that is so precious he's going to take it out and hand it to these girls so he walks out to the pickup truck. He sticks the "I love you" note on the kitchen and is embracing it. I'm like, "What is up with this?" Just yesterday, I'm out. We I I took the kids out. We're going to do some gardening together, and so it's a nice way of saying I'm going to have them do some manual labor around the house. We've got this covered in lanai, and in this lanai, you know, we've got a. a the little miniature palm tree thing that's been there for quite a while, and it's been a disaster. That's the thing that, you know, kind of the tree that has those long thorns on it, and it's just awful. I hate that tree, and so, you know, every time you're in there trying to trim it, and sure enough, one of those things gets you right in the vein, and you just, you know, you say things, and then you ask for forgiveness, and then... um <laughs> And so, uh, so yesterday, man, I had had it, and I called my friend Colt, who does landscaping here, and I said, Colt, what would it take for me to have you come out and dig this thing up, or tell me how to do it? he said, well, the root bulb is about 200 pounds. How much would it cost me then for you to come out and do it, because <laughs> that's beyond my pay grade? And uh, and the muscle was great. And so he said, yeah, here's, here's what I'll charge you. And he came out. He came and looked at the tree. And my oldest son said, what are you doing? I'm like, we're getting rid of this tree. I'm not kidding you. I looked out. He's embracing this palm tree. I'm like, something is not right here. <laughs> and it just seems that way with life that we... We have these phases and we we embrace parts of our life and we don't want to let them go. I look at the history of the church, which is, you know, not interesting reading. If you're going to sit down and read something, I'm guessing that most people are not reading church history. But I think we're all uh, educated enough to know that there have been some chapters where the church throughout the centuries has not let go of that are embarrassing. They're chapters that we we see generations hoarding on to things. When we look at the Crusades, when we look at the Dark Ages, when we look at these chapters, we're like, oh, just let go. And yet they embraced it even more. Think about our own life here on this planet just in the last 40, 50, 60 years, ever how old you are. And I look back, for example, in the 1950s and the 1960s where we embraced things and certain things worked during those years. I remember, you remember visitation committees and, you know, you would meet together and then you go door to door and you knock on doors. If I had to sign up for that this afternoon, I know me and my kids would be the only ones to go. Just be honest, right? Who wants to go door to door and do anything? I don't want to go door to door and sell a shovel or whatever. It's just not our culture anymore. And yet we held on to that. There were times that we believed, in, at least in my leadership, there were times where we um, did the Christmas show and the Easter show. And I, I have to confess, I've spent thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars to my shame. Until we, we had a living Christmas tree, we poured thousands of dollars into a living Christmas tree. Until one year, I, I, I said, I got to cut the tree down. And I became known for the guy that created the living Christmas stump. There was no more Christmas tree. <laughs> and it felt good. But I, it was hard to let go. It was hard for our church to let go. And I see now in our culture where we're moving toward relationships. And I like it. I like the sense that we're no longer particularly expecting people to, to go out. We're We're becoming in our culture what it's would be considered an incarnational church. It's a fancy word for instead of people expecting people to come here for God, we're going to bring God to them and we begin to serve in the, in the community. And I like all of that, which leads me to today, which is the final chapter, the final week of this collection that we've called us. And we have gone through the identity, which I believe that God calls us to. And this identity, we've seen that God has called us to be adventurous. God has called us to be um, not just stuck in the mud and and safe in the box, but to to be somewhat out there and and dream outrageous as we saw last week. But we understand that it's going to take strenuous activity and and we're going to have to be homogenous in heart and soul in order to accomplish this. And yet when I look at this list... I think, you know, there are other organizations that could still have those characteristics. I look at, I don't know if you caught any college football yesterday, but, man, they're adventurous, strenuous. They're a lot more strenuous than the church, if, I, if I'm just being honest with you, right? They're strenuous, and they're dreaming outrageous. They want the title for the year. And certainly, they're homogenous. They're all together as one team. So I'm looking at this list, and I'm thinking, this is still not enough there's one more thing that we must have in the identity of the church that added to being adventurous and homogenous and outrageous and all the things, strenuous, all the things that we've talked about. We've got to have this because what we're going to talk about today differentiates us between all of this, all of this list. And I'm afraid I'm concerned, if I might say it, for the 21st century church, as we turn into a church that is now going into the community, if we miss this element, we have missed it. And here it is, the identity that God calls our church to be, in addition to adventurous and homogenous and outrageous and strenuous, is this, God calls us to be miraculous. Miraculous. You see, when you look at this list, we have to say, and I'm not ashamed to say it, that we have something unique that other organizations do not have. And that sounds a bit narrow. That sounds perhaps a little bit boastful. But without any shame and any hesitation, I would say that our church, the Church of God, Must have this element of being miraculous. We cannot afford to overlook the fact that great organizations in this world, whether it's UNICEF or Red Cross or you name the organization you fill in the blank, are wonderful organizations that reach to the suffering of humanity, but they are not supernatural. They do not have the miraculous element that the church is supposed to have. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21, we read this, in Christ, speaking of the church, the whole building, that's us, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you, plural, too, are built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. I'm going to make an obvious statement. We, as the church, should be the spiritual force in the world, God working through us. And as we look at what's happening for the 21st century church and people getting excited as I am excited, I have to make this bold statement that the church is not exclusively a social justice agency to relieve the suffering of the world. Do we do that? Absolutely. Are we called to do that? Absolutely. We are called by God to reach to those that are marginalized, those that are are impoverished, those who are... um, uh, cast aside those who are widows, those who are orphans, those who are homeless, those who are lonely, those who are broken. God calls us to those things, but without the miraculous element of, um, of God working through us, without the miraculous element of what we're going to see today, all is lost. And we just become another social uh, uh, justice organization. One of my favorite authors, because he's edgy, he's 30-something, he's got crazy hair, and he's not afraid to talk about some of the edgier things. His name is Dan Kimball. wrote a book called "They Like Jesus, but Not the Church." And in an article that I was reading, probably, yeah, about eight to 10 months ago, I became quite troubled as I read the article in a magazine I subscribe to called Outreach. And in this article, Dan Kimball begins by writing this. Unfortunately, he says, the more I interact with younger Christians in particular, the more I'm seeing them define the gospel as participating in justice more than the cross. i got to say, it's easy to do. It feels good when we go out to schools, out to the community. It feels good. But it's not about feeling good. It's not all about being nice to other people and doing nice things. God, when he called the church out, when he said go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost, it wasn't just to help out people, although that's part of it, as I will continue to say, throughout the morning because there was a time many, many years, decades, generations where it all became about the Bible studies. It all became about in-house. And I'm thrilled to see that the church is now coming awake to the, to the needs of this world. I'm ashamed at times to think, to ask ourselves the question, what have we done on the AIDS front? What have we done on the homeless front? What have we done on the poverty front? I get all that. And God, and you know, for those that know me, I'm a champion of that. But today, I want to remind us that this whole sense of this whole collection of conversation is about the identity that God has in mind for his church. Because we can be going on the same journey together, but have a lot of different motives. And we, we can, we can um, think that we're in the same car, but if we have different reasons of why we're doing different things, then we can miss it, and we cannot miss it on this. I was, as I was putting these thoughts together, I was reminded of this incident that happened to me in my last college, and it, it was so bizarre that it, even to this day, I ask myself a question. Was that a dream, or did it really happen? When I was in college... For some reason, I became quite attached to the Asian community there there were asian musicians and my background was in music and they they practiced they had great discipline habits and i worked hard and we just became friends and then i became the the person that taught them how to drive they they would come to the states and we would no joke we would practice in the cemetery i thought well hey if something bad happens we're here you know <laughs> it's a, just a short distance just open the car and you know? so <laughs> I, you know, I would teach them how to drive, and then they would, I would help them in class because of the language barrier. And we would take them shopping, and it was just an incredible, incredible uh, journey and path. And we saw uh, internationals give their heart to Christ because we built relationships with them. It was really, really cool. This one particular guy, he was uh, studying for his doctorate degree. He was from Korea. His name was Don Kim. And Don and I were really close, and I'm telling you, his language, his English language skills were horrible. He could barely, I'm like, I don't even know how you got here. How did you get in the entrance to this university, you know? So at any rate, I would help him out, and after class, I would say, well, let me try to, you know, use simple language. Of course, he'd come to me because, you know, I'm an idiot, and I could put things easy, and so here, here's what we're talking about, music theory and all that jazz. Well... When we first got to the school, I've got, I, we, we both had this teacher. And to this day, he is the meanest man I have ever met in my life. Now, he's dead now. I'm not smiling. I am not smiling. No. Um, Dr. Revit was his name. And he got these cheap plastic shoes, and he would pace the entire class. And as he paced, his shoes would squeak. And it would And and he would love it. I mean, absolutely love it when we miss stuff on a test. And when he would say, "Did anybody get twenty-two right?" and we were like, "No, we didn't get it right." Oh, I thought that was a good question. I'm like, "Is this about education or about stump the band or something?" You know. So my friend Don Kim, he said, "I would like to take." Dr. Revit on a barbecue lunch. And I'm like, well, what's your motive? What, why or would we do this with this guy? And, and so he said, well, I want to get to know him so maybe my grade will get better. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, have a good time. And he said, well, will you come with me? I'm like, OK. So my motive was to translate. I don't know Korean, kimchi, that's it, that's all I got. And so I will help, you know, the conversation. When we asked Dr. Revit if he would go, he said, oh, I love Korean food, I'll go. So Don's motive for going was to get a good grade. My motive for going was to translate, Uh, Dr. Revit's motive for going was he loved Korean food. And so we all in this for different motives. We, here comes the day. We go down. It was November in the Midwest. It gets, gets down in the 40s, pretty, pretty cold. And we go out, and Dom brings his um, wife, who speaks no English, and his small four-year-old son. I don't know the Korean word for maniac, but it, that's what it was like. Crazy. And we're all piled into this Lincoln Continental that I swear to you is half the size of a football field. No, this long brown car, and we're riding it, and we go down to this park where there's a a lake, and we get out a little hibachi, and we start cooking. We have kimchi and all this stuff, and we're cooking these little flank steaks or something. It's freezing, and none of us are talking to one another. We're just... (laughs) like this. When Don turns around and says, it's cold. I'm like, yeah, it's cold. And he said, let's go to my apartment. I'm like, excellent idea. We pile back into the Lincoln, and Dr. Revitt's in the passenger seat. Don's driving. Don's wife, no English, maniac, and me, and a flaming hibachi. In a Lincoln, you gotta get the picture. We're driving, and the car is filling up with smoke. I am this far from passing out and strangling this Korean little kid who's jumping up, saying stuff you can't understand. And I lean up and I say, "Hey, Doctor Rev, Doctor Doctor Revit." Can you crack the window, just just a shade? And we're going down. Literally, I'm going like this. <laughs> Reminding me of the old days. Sorry. No. as that is. That picture, I'm like, you know, you wake up like, was that a dream? It had to be a dream. All of us in the same car, lots of different motives. You see, God calls us, and I know that most of us have different versions of what church is. But here it is. The most miraculous thing that God intends for us to be about is when a person turns from darkness to light. It is the greatest miracle on the planet Earth. When a person turns from their own life, from their self-focused heart into a life that is turned toward God and says, What you want, I want. You have my heart, I get yours. We call it being born again, and the scripture calls it that as well. And I know that phrase has gotten a lot of bad rap. Probably to cover up the reality of that miracle. We can disagree about a lot. And I'm a guy that can that loves to have conversations about those things that we can disagree about this one we cannot the church is called to the miraculous experience of one life turning from darkness to light this does not happen this is not the identity of the red cross or UNICEF or or every all the organizations which I deeply respect and support, by the way. But we have to call who we are who we are, and we cannot forget that we are carriers of the miraculous gospel of Jesus Christ, which is Jesus substituted himself for us on a cross to take every Single, minute, micro, and macro, and huge sin, regardless if it was a lie in third grade or you committed adultery last night. Christ says everything I forgive. It is the gospel of Jesus. He died for that. And then to underscore and accentuate the truth, to, to prove that death on this life is not it, he rose from the dead, to give us life, to send the Spirit of God within us so that we become alive. Our dead spirits are ignited so that we are born again. It is the greatest miracle, and we are the only ones to carry it. In Ephesians chapter 5, notice the language. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. I want you to take note that these words do not say you were once in darkness. No, we were once darkness. We were. Nice person. I was popular. I played in a rock band. Everybody liked me. I wasn't, I wasn't you know, uh, um, Dracula or... <laughs> but inwardly, I was darkness. But now... I'm light. There is no greater miracle. Romans chapter 1 says it plainly. Watch. I'm not ashamed, Paul says, of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. It is the power of God for salvation for, of everyone who believes, first for the Jew then the Gentile, for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. That is, you don't have to do it on your own anymore. Now, see... I heard the gospel all my life. Literally, my mom brought us to church when we were two weeks old. I knew that Jesus died on a cross. I knew he did it for me and the whole world. I knew he rose from the dead. I, believe, I knew that he was going to send the Spirit of God, and I knew he's coming back. Knew all of it. Year one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine didn't make a difference. Year 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. It didn't make a difference. It wasn't that I didn't know the gospel, but the gospel, I had not been, I'd been cold and shut it out to the point that God had to, he, there's a miraculous event that at one time, you it's like you see it for the first time. That's the miracle. It's not the miracle of anybody sitting in this room, oh, Jesus, never heard of him. Wow, thanks for telling me. Not going to happen in America. The miracle happens when we hear the gospel for the 800th time, but it's like the first time we ever heard it and say, wow, how did I miss that? I need that. I'm no longer just going to know it here. I'm going to know it in my heart. I'm going to, I've got to embrace Christ's heart and he can have mine and I'm done fighting. I'm done trying to do it on my own. I was in church for over 20 years. Don't believe for a second that just because you're sitting in a church and you understand the precepts of Christianity that that makes you a Christian and you've experienced the miraculous. The miraculous. Watch this in action. Acts chapter we're going to hover here for, for a little while. If you want to take out a Bible, Acts chapter 3. Watch what happens. You see, the apostles, the disciples, the early followers of Jesus, they were about doing great things, nice things for others. Those that were sick, those that were poor, They were following what Christ had called them to do. And yet I want to to show you, because Acts chapter 2 is when when God miraculously fills the church with the Holy Spirit and is doing great things within the four walls. And Acts chapter 3 is when they step out and begin to put it into action, the acts of the apostle. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer Then Peter said these now famous words, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, which made them unique from every other organization in town, by the way, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And so this incredible, astonishing experience got the crowd excited as it would happen if I just did it right here. And they rushed these two guys, and the crowd began to form. And see, had they just done exclusively this good work and not attached the name to Jesus, then what happens is people begin to look at them. You see... If we just go out and do nice things, what people will look at is us. And that's not God's intention. God demands, requires of us that we point away from ourselves. Because I can't do anything for people. Whatever I would give them material is going to run out next week. We are to point to the one that can give them something that will never change through eternity. Think about that. What can you give? What can I give anybody that's going to last for 10 million years, much less 20 years? And so here they are, and they say, we're doing this in the name of Jesus, because if we exclusively do good works, people will look at us, and it's not the goal. In Acts chapter 3, verse 12, when Peter saw this and the reaction, because they were like making them rock stars, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our power or godliness we had made this man walk? And then the very next verse, he begins to lay out the history which led us up to Jesus. And he begins to tell the story of Christ and why Christ had to come for our sins. And he, he ends this gospel story in verse 17. And he says this, Now, brothers, up to this point, I know that you acted in ignorance as did our, as your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Now watch, this small word comes up over and over. Repent then. Now that you know this, then is such a key word there. Now everything I've said, everything you've seen, everything leading to this point, including the miracle of the guy being healed, all of that led to this. Now then, turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out, that uh, times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Watch, he could have said, yeah, you think healing a guy's ankles was awesome? Watch this, because that's what we do as the church, right? I've been in it, steeply been in it, where something happens miraculously and I believe that I believe that God's people ask me all the time do you believe that God still moves I absolutely do now you may not I do so what let's move on but I believe that God still moves in these miraculous ways but then what happens for the church is we begin to hold on to the kitchen set we begin to hold on to the palm tree and so here's a guy that got healed for his ankles and we start having ankle ministry you know Wednesday night, heal your ankle. Come and bring a potluck and a pie or whatever, you know. That's the, that's the way we do it. And God was like, dude, I was only, I was in that moment. Why? So that they could understand that Jesus could wipe out their sins. That's the miracle. That's the reason. It's not that we'll be healthier and wealthier in all the things that we like to hug and embrace. It's all about pointing to the Christ who can change our lives. you know when you push this line and I'll say this I'm gonna I'm gonna go off script here for a second it's okay for God to change pastors' hearts. we know that right? A year ago, two years ago, three years ago, I was pretty good with doing nice things through the church beginning by reading that article I became troubled because people come into 360 who perhaps have been maybe you're like this I was like this we're an experience where it's just all about us And then you find a place that's not, and we're out in the community and we're doing things. And it's really easy to say, We're doing things. We're doing nice things. This is awesome. It's not all about us. And in my heart, in the deepest part, I have to remind you and myself that it's not just that. We have to build relationships to the point that we can speak with our mouth the name of Jesus. Some people would say, "Well, that's an ulterior motive." Mm-mm, that's an exterior motive. I'll let you know, we'll let you know right away. We're a church. We're not trying to slip anything under the table here. Hey, here's a drink of water, do you know Jesus? <clears throat> <laughs> hey, want some Jolly Ranchers, do you know Jesus? Or when they open up the bag, whoa, Jesus, I didn't know that. No. We are followers of Jesus. We have a miraculous story. I'm not trying to convert any anybody. The gospel, the aliveness, the life, the, the, the power of the gospel. I was in a church, so some of you are new, so I'll retell the story. For those of you that are old, now would be a good time to fall asleep because you've heard the story. I was in the church, thirty people, the preacher from India barely could understand what he was saying. The choir had eight people. All of them were crummy. The music was horrible. The surroundings were dirty in the mid, in the middle of Boston and it Nothing was attractive. Nothing was attractive. And on that day when I heard the gospel after 22 years and hearing it for the first time, even though I had heard it for 2,400 times, you couldn't have stopped me from raising my hand and saying, I want him. Today I want him. It was a miracle of going from darkness to light. Oh, church, we cannot lose this identity, can we? We cannot lose this identity. When they began to speak the gospel, they, as, would you, as you would think, began to get resistance. They did not get resistance for doing nice things. Go out and be adventurous. Go out and be, dream outrageously. Be strenuous. Be homogenous. And see if you get any pushback from anybody. Begin to talk about Jesus And you will. They got thrown into jail in Acts chapter 4 and verse 2. The leaders were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, they put it because it was evening, and they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. And the men and the number of men grew <laughs> to about 5,000. Now, the way they counted in those days, for cultural reasons, they only counted the men. I'm guessing there were 5,000 women. I'm guessing there's three or 4,000, maybe 8,000 kids. Throw us in jail because you, can't, you can stop us But the power of the gospel cannot be stopped, so we don't have to be afraid. The enemy could care less if we're just doing nice things, Acts chapter 4, verse 17. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, the leader said we must warn these apostles, these disciples, to speak no longer to anyone in this name. That's because this is our identity in Colossians chapter 6. Or chapter 1 and verse 6, I, I want to remind us this. All over the world, Paul writes, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it had been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Let me just say this, and we're, we're going to close. I want to read to you um, another paragraph from this article that I found particularly Troublesome. Dan Kimball writes in this article, he says this It is culturally acceptable and applauded to be involved in justice these days. Thankfully, so. Even atheists are passionate about justice globally. May I tell you, and those of you that know me well know I'm a crybaby, I cried when I read that sentence. Even atheists are passionate about justice globally. But it is not as easy to pray and spend time and invest in a relationship and have a difficult conversation explaining the cross and salvation to someone. That goes against culture. We have to remember the power of the gospel and that it did take actual words and explanation of the cross for most of us to eventually make a decision and become followers of Jesus. If the Apostle Paul were here today and he could sit in this chair and I'd say, Paul, wow, what an amazing life. We've read about you. When you were living your life, you probably didn't even know we were going to read about you. But let me show you. Look at this. It's cool, right? There you are. And... Paul, as you were in this Lincoln, traveling in this Christian journey, what was your motive? Because in this day and age, you can flip on the TV and you can see a lot of motives of why people are in in the Lincoln. What was the reason? Could you pare it down to one thing? And I believe that he closes our thoughts today with this from Acts chapter 20, and verse 24. He says, Paul says this, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. What is that, Paul? The task of testifying to the gospel of God's I pray for a church that is adventurous. I believe that we have an adventurous church. I really believe that. I told you last week, a minute jury still out to see whether or not we'll be strenuous. Even in the small things, time will tell. I pray that we will. I pray that we'll be homogenous and one heart and one soul. I pray that we'll dream outrageous, but all of it is for nothing unless we are miraculous. Where lives come in and they're moved from darkness to light. Let's pray. This message today, God is serious. This is a message, God, in our hearts where we can't fool around. Because what's at stake here is greater than the stake of human suffering on this planet. Now, God, you know our hearts. You know our church. You know 360. You know our the, the reason that we planted a, our foot on this planet to not only encourage and cultivate relationships within our four walls but not to get caught up only with us but to reach into this world and yet today God what's at stake is not just making someone feel better not making someone's living conditions better but what's at stake today God as you remind us Is the human soul. A soul that will spend either an eternity with you or an eternity away from you, God. We cannot even comprehend what eternity is like. Endless, infinity, without a close, without time. God, would you sweep our hearts with the Spirit of God and bring to life again our identity of carriers of the miraculous gospel, the power of God to salvation? God, help us not to be a church of nice people doing nice things to those in need. God, we want to do that. We're we're doing that, God, But so much deep in our soul, God, we invite your spirit to awaken in us that we are it. There is no other organization on this earth, no matter how good and no matter what great things they do on this earth, we are it, God. The only team that will bring Christ. Waken us, God, we ask to this. If somehow we find ourselves sitting here and that's just indifferent to us or we could care less, God forgive us because life is short and we carry the single message of Christ that salvation comes only through Christ Jesus. I pray, God, for those sitting in this room that like I did 30 years ago that would raise their hand and say, I want Jesus today. I've been in church. I haven't been in church. Doesn't matter. But I want to embrace Christ. I want my sins to be wiped out. I hear the gospel today as if it were the first time. I want your heart to be mine. And Jesus, I want my heart to to be yours we're praying we're in an attitude of prayer we don't uh, pray the same every time but today I'm just going to ask as we're still praying if you would say that's me today I want to I want to accept Christ I want to accept his heart I want the gospel of Christ to come alive to me today. I'm going to ask you, don't be afraid to slip your hand up wherever you might be in privacy, and I'm going to pray. I see you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else? Yes. I see people in this room. I see that people in this room accepting Christ, boldly raising their hand. You may have been in church all your life. God, we're waiting for you as we begin this time. We're waiting for you, God, to move. We're waiting for you. Is there anyone else that would say, I want Jesus today? Yes. I want Jesus today. Yes. All over this room. Yes. Oh, God. Oh, yes. people turning in this moment from darkness to light will you be one of those anyone else before we close in prayer anyone else yes people all over this room saying I want Christ changing lives Father thank you For those who have said yes to you today. Thank you for offering to us the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, God, for being raised from the dead. And now we give you glory for the thing that we could never do. pray for those that just raise their hand for them now just to, to, to take that step to follow you God to pray ask in their heart for the forgiveness of all their sins Jesus I want you I give my heart to you God I want your life in me and I just pray that you'll forgive me and breathe the Holy Spirit into my life and ignite me God, hear their hearts as they pray. And we'll thank you again that we have witnessed in this room miracles. In the name of Jesus, who makes it possible. Amen.